Hey, it's Scott, and guess what? You're about to hear an ad, and that's both good and bad. It's good because ads are what make it possible for me to keep bringing you these episodes, and it's bad because, well, maybe you don't like listening to ads, and I get that. And the good news is, you don't have to. When you sign up to support the show, you get every single episode without any ads. Plus, you get all the bonus episodes. Yeah, did you know there are actually bonus episodes? And you can try it all for free just to see what it's like. If you're on an iPhone, just go to the What Was That Like podcast and at the top, click on Try Free and you're in. On Android, just go to whatwasthatlike.com slash plus and try it out completely free. Once you've had the ad-free experience, you'll see why hundreds of other listeners are already doing it. But for now, here's another ad and then on with today's episode. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club, Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international best-selling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with Therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. What Was That Like? contains adult language and content and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Claw marks from his nails all over my shin. He was ripping my shin open with his teeth. Welcome to What Was That Like? I'm your host, Scott Johnson. This is the show where we talk to regular people, people just like you or just like me, who have found themselves in an extremely unusual situation. We'll hear their stories and get inside their head because we all want to know, what was that like? More information about each episode at whatwasthatlike.com. Here we go.
Today's conversation is with Lauren. A few years ago, Lauren worked at a private zoo here in the United States, and one of her jobs was to take care of the monkeys. But these weren't just any monkeys. These were howler monkeys. You want to guess how howler monkeys earned that name? You got it, because they howl. But it's probably not the kind of sound you expect to hear when you think of howling. You know, you kind of think of a dog with that kind of high-pitched noise. It's kind of charming because it seems like they're trying to sing. Nope, this is something very different. This is what a howler monkey sounds like. Yeah, that's not a dog. That sounds more like something from The Exorcist, but that's just what they do. Part of Lauren's job was giving the howler monkeys their food and water. But there was one howler in particular that didn't like Lauren. And one day, he had a brief opportunity to act on it, and he took it. This experience led Lauren to actually leave her career with animals. She went on to graduate school and is now a high school science teacher, teaching earth science and biology. And that knowledge plays a part in the podcast that she co-hosts with her fiancé, Nick. It's called Just Nah Science. You can check that out at justnascience.com. That's J-U-S-T-N-A-S-C-I-E-N-C-E.com. Right now, What Was That Like is supported only by the listeners. If you like this show, I invite you to join the others who help out with a dollar or a few dollars each month and you can do that at whatwasthatlike.com slash support. And now let's hear from Lauren about her encounter with the Howler Monkey. Would you ever consider having a pet monkey for yourself? You know, I have been asked this a lot, but absolutely not. No way. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. You see a lot of those videos on like Facebook and everything about how cute monkeys are, but no. Um, they are wild animals. I never would. And uh, they are much dirtier than people think. Oh, interesting. Yes. I've thought about one of the guests that I hope to have on a future show. I don't have anybody in particular in mind for this yet, but I'd like to talk to someone who has a monkey or a chimp for a pet and to talk about what's involved with that and, you know, the pros and cons and everything. Because everybody thinks, oh, that'd be so fun. You know, they're like right. little humans. But uh <laughs> What I found scary about this story is the fact that monkeys are smart, they are very quick moving, mm -hmm. and they have teeth and claws, and they can get angry. Yes. And you kind of experienced all of that in, in one package. But how did you end up getting a job as a zookeeper? Well, my undergrad degree was in environmental studies, and I kind of ultimately wanted to go into wildlife conservation. So right out of college, I started working at an animal shelter. And then from there, I got an internship at a big cat sanctuary down in Arkansas, learned some of the ropes, and then finally landed a job at um, a zoo with a whole menagerie of animals, including monkeys, because my friend had worked in the office there and they had an opening. So she reached out and just kind of ended up falling into some of these roles. <laughs> It, it pays to know people, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, plus, of course, with your with your background, it to me, I'm an animal lover, and 
to me, I've got kind of mixed feelings about it. It seems like working with animals like that all day, so it's like it's like a dream job. But on the other hand, from a philosophical or moral standpoint, have, keeping animals in cages, it's kind of against my grain as well, you know, that they should be free. But uh, yeah, that's, it would be definitely an interesting place to work. So what were all the types of animals that you were taking care of there? So at that zoo in particular, I feel like I, I tell people all the time, I kind of had all the leftovers. So I had everything from different species of monkeys. I had flamingos, snowy owls, sloths, aardvarks, you name it. I had an array of animals. Wow, that is quite a, a variety. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to learn and a lot very quickly. <laughs> what did you do with them aside from feeding them? What were your duties there? Well, the main part of the job, and like you said, a lot of people think, oh, working with animals, it must be great. Like, that'd be a dream. Getting to interact with them on, on a level like you'd want to is the last thing you get to do. It's basically cleaning. You know, you're cleaning up all of them, whether it's their food that they threw around, um, feces, everything. You're totally changing over their cages. So like the straw, the hay, whatever they have in there. And then you're just trying to build enrichment for them to kind of keep them stimulated. And then if you have time afterwards, you can do like try to build relationships. Because they see you every day. So they're yeah. inevitably, there'd be some kind of a relationship being built there. Right. Uh, good or bad, it sounds <laughs> like. Uh, okay, so let's talk about this particular attack. Or well, Before we get into that, though, how can you describe how was the cage area laid out? Right. So in a lot of zoo enclosures, you have, you know, the main enclosure. And when you first step into it, you're in what's called the keeper area. So that's where you may keep some tools for cleaning, maybe some extra water, bare bones, basic tools. But that is your area that the animal does not go into. So that's like a, a room. Right. So okay. it's almost like a partition in between you and the animal space. So then beyond that, there's like a gate and a door of some sort for whatever animal you have. And then that's their space. And how many monkeys were in this uh, particular enclosure? So you had three total. You had the male howler, the female, and then they had just had a baby. So he was mainly on the mom's back or belly at that time. So a howler family. Yes. Can you talk about what is a howler monkey? How is it different from other types of monkeys? Howlers are pretty interesting monkeys. They're generally found in South America, and they're known for having this almost looks like an enlarged Adam's apple or like a balloon on their throat, which allows them to do like these incredibly loud and almost scary sounding like territorial calls or danger calls, whatever is happening. But they can be heard from like miles away with this. And how big are they? Uh, it's tough to say. Well, I learned that day that they're a lot more hair <laughs> than you'd expect. But um, overall, I'd say the male would be at least probably like two, two and a half feet tall if he were standing up. And you know, they don't look that big, but I could tell you he can cover you from your knee down to your ankle completely. So <laughs> I learned that. <laughs> and I guess the reason they have the name is because they actually howl. Right. Uh, when I when I hear that or when I picture that, I, I always think of the scene in Harry Potter where Ron Weasley got the howler card, you know, that screamed at him while he was sitting <laughs> at the table there. That's But they, they do make a lot of noise, right? Ton of noise, yep. And what is, uh, what's their mouth like? Do they have a lot of, is it like a human mouth or is it like an animal mouth with lots of sharp teeth and stuff? It does kind of look like a human mouth, except their canines are much, much bigger. Um, even though they're generally on like a, 
vegetarian type diet, they still have um, fairly large canines. I'd say about an inch long, um, and they're definitely sharp. Um, so definitely for you know things like being territorial and defending their families, it's it's mainly used a lot for that. And you mentioned that this particular one was it. Which one was it in the family that? It was the male. Absolutely. The male. Okay. Yeah. And you, I know you've written that uh, he had a distinct dislike for you. Why do you think that was? From day one, you know, when they first were just introducing me to the job and to the animals that were going to be in my section, I just remember from day one, like, I think I screwed this up with him because I don't know if it was my energy, you know, just like they're really just like people. And like, there's some people you just don't mesh with and you don't click with. They're the same. And I think maybe I came on too strong or I just too alpha of a personality for him that he was just not having me from day one. Yeah, you only get one chance to make a good first impression. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With people or monkeys. All right. Well, just take us uh, take us through that day. Take us like a uh, minute by minute. Just, you know, tell us what happened. Being that this was a private zoo, uh, we were generally not open to the public. So only one day a month on member day could people come and be brought around by other zoo staff and see the animals. So, of course, on all days, this happened on a member day. And... You know, you have a ton of work to get done before people arrive around usually 10 a.m. So it is first thing in the morning around uh, probably a little bit before 8 a.m. And I start to do my morning checks. So every morning as a zookeeper, before you do anything else, you want to go check, make sure your animals are okay. Nothing happened overnight. They have water, etc. So I got down to my howler enclosure and... They saw me come and they always run inside when they see me because the male does not like to leave me unattended. He always wanted to see what I was doing and give me a hard time about everything. So first thing you do, you enter the keeper area. You make sure everything's good, nothing broke. And as always, they had flipped their water bowl overnight. And this was something that generally happened every night and I would come in to see every morning. And I had really been bugging the zoo staff to do something about this because we had some other monkeys on the property that they had their water bowls in specific kind of um, were like kind of sectioned off so that they couldn't be flipped and they were like in these met held down by metal grates so you know they would make sure they had water all night there were no issues and more importantly it was very safe for the keeper to go in and replace the water but for whatever reason they were kind of dragging their feet on doing it with the howlers so you know I go in Again, the water bowl's flipped and it's kind of in the middle of their enclosure. So it's a little bit far in for me to reach. So I had to use one of my tools to kind of open the feed door and reach and get it. So, And how big is that opening in the feed door? Right. So the feed door should only be as big as the bowls need to be get, go in and out. And it generally was. Like it was just big enough for the food and water bowls to come in and out. But, you know, I was about to find out that it was also big enough for the male howler to get out, which I don't think anybody ever assumed or realized because with their hair, you know, they look a lot bigger. But just like a dog, when it gets wet, you're like, oh, wow, you're actually a lot smaller <laughs> than we thought. Yeah. So unfortunately, being the howler didn't like me very much. Every morning when I would come in to give them fresh water and, you know, take their bowl, I would put water in it and I would slide it back in. All he would see is me taking something of his. So 
he would always give me a hard time. Sometimes he would pull back on the bowl, and it was just never in, in a one, two, three type of thing. I was always in there for a few minutes. Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what code 25what. I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV. And her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com/what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com/what. I'll confess, sometimes I let my podcast playlist get out of hand and I get way behind. But there's one show that I subscribe to and any new episode goes right to the top of the queue. That's the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's because I never have to figure out, okay, is this one going to be interesting or do I wait for the next one like I do for some shows? Because Jordan's conversations are always a must-listen for me. He talks to fascinating people from any category you can think of. Authors, scientists, athletes, you name it. He's talked to undercover cops who posed as mafia and the actual career mafia hitmen. And the stories he gets out of these people, just incredible. In one episode, he talked to Paul Holes. You might know that name if you're into true crime. 
He's the former investigator who uses really advanced methods to solve cold cases, including the Golden State Killer. And another one I really enjoyed was with Sam Harris, an author and neuroscientist who promotes skepticism, and he doesn't mind taking on some seriously controversial topics like politics or religion. That one's going to make you think. Whenever a new episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show pops up, I already know it's going to be an episode that I'll enjoy listening to, and I'll bet you will too. For some episode recommendations, check out jordanharbinger.com start, or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So I had to grab like one of the sticks and I was trying to drag out the bowl and, and trying to do it so that I didn't like really bother them and especially with the new baby in there. But, you know, the male was not having it. So the one odd thing I found about that morning is that just as I was about to bring the bowl all the way out through the feed door, I noticed him backing up in the enclosure. I thought that was kind of odd that he was giving me some space, but maybe he was finally maturing. And... um Mind you, the uh, the feed slot, thankfully, is right on, it's on the floor. So I had to like, kind of crouch down to do this. And as the bowl is right in the doorway, he starts, he rushes the door and he is running full speed. And man, he was there in like a split second. So now I couldn't close the door back all the way because the bowl was in the way. And now the monkey's half through the way. So... I made the split second decision to kind of, I knew he was coming through that door. So I decided it'd be better for me to stand up. So my face wasn't right there. And, you know, looking, I'm trying to, I'm trying to picture this. You you had the opening for the bowl Mm -hmm. and that was the only opening. Could you, was the rest of the, a solid wall or was it glass? So you could, you could see what he was doing. So the rest is like, um, almost like a fence where you could like stick food and things to the fence. And I would often do that for them for a little enrichment. But yeah, it was all. So you could see him even oh, though you yeah. weren't down at the hole. Okay. Yeah, I could see them perfectly. I could have put my fingers through the cage if I wouldn't do that with him. But, you right, know. Right, um, So that's how you knew he had backed up. And yep. I mean, it seems like this was all premeditated on his part. Well, right? you know, I was just I was just going to say hindsight's always twenty twenty, and and. and I, of course, after this had happened, I would play this back again and again in my head. And I had realized the weeks leading up to this, I had noticed him hanging around that door more and more. He would like put his hands on it. He would put himself up against it. And looking back now, I realized he was really measuring it up and, and kind of assessing the situation because he would see my bo- the bulls, his bulls going in and out of every day. He didn't like it. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of, I really feel like he was planning this. As scary as wow. that sounds for some time. <laughs> that is incredible. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, at this point, he had just pushed through the bowl in the door. Now I had stood back up and he immediately latches on to my right leg. So, with his hands? Just completely engulfed it. So, he from the. Oh, so he was all the way through the hole now? All the way through the hole. He, cause he shot through that hole like a rocket. Like it happened so fast. I can't even, I can't even describe it to you. So he got me from my knee down to my ankle. And luckily, that's the only area he attacked. And for some reason, he was just kind of really focused, hyper-focused on that area. And yeah, he kind of, his body just took over the entire shin of my right leg. And being that they have a prehensile tail, 
you know, he was wrapped around it and there was really no getting him off at that time. It was like an octopus being kind of wrapped on you. And immediately clawing, like they had pretty long fingernails, like just like ours. Um, they seem a little thicker though. So they're a little bit more, uh, do more damage. So clawing, I had claw marks from his nails all over my shin. He was ripping my shin open with his teeth. Uh, and you, was, but you were wearing pants at the time, right? Long pants, like jeans. I was wearing jeans, and I was no longer wearing jeans from the knee down. So he had completely ripped my jeans off. I couldn't even tell you the instance he did it. He did it so fast before I even knew it. I just was. It was just a flap of jean open on the that area now. So obviously, I was in complete shock at this moment. I was like, I can't believe this is happening. And just like people describe, or you see in the movies. But, you know, you don't believe it until it happens to you. A million things ran through my head and, and, and so fast. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I have a radio on my hip. I could call for help. But how would someone even get in here? Because now we're basically tussling in the keeper area. So they couldn't get in without him attacking them or with him completely escaping to the outside. I also had like kind of like a Swiss army knife Leatherman tool on my hip. So do I try to use that? Do I use the knife to try to get him off me? But I, I really didn't want to injure him and God forbid kill him. As, as upset as I was at him right in the moment, I still didn't want to hurt him. So I'm going through all these ideas in my head and I figured the best thing I could do at that moment was to not try to use my hands to pull him off me because he definitely would have bit fingers off and then use that as leverage to probably climb up my arm, get to my face and my neck where no doubt if he really wanted to, he probably could have killed me. So I thought, looking at the the partition or the fence that kind of separates the keeper area from the animal area, and I figured I'm just going to try to kick him a few times into like some of the wooden posts in there, and that was going to be my, my best shot. So I gave him a few good kicks into it since he was just wrapped on my leg. And luckily, it kind of like snapped him out of it. And... um he ended up jumping off my leg and then scurrying up to the diagonal corner of the keeper area from me. So now he's like up high looking down on me in his corner and I'm backed into mine. But you're still in the same room, obviously. Still in the same room. And I kind of banked on, banked on this idea that he was now scared himself because it kind of seemed like it snapped him out of it. And he had never been in the keeper area before. So this was new territory for him. And I think he felt mm -hmm. a little uncomfortable. So I was like, I need to do something quick because he could dive bomb right on my face and it can go really south again. Or I grabbed, we had a shepherd stick on the wall, a big wooden shepherd stick, just like Bo Peep would use. And I kind of just grabbed that and I just used that to kind of keep distance with him. And with the other hand, I unlocked the big door that separates the keeper area and the animal area. The one that I would go through, you know, if I needed to go in and do like a big change up of the enclosure. Obviously, if the animals weren't in there. So you're opening the door now where the, where the mother and baby were. Right. But luckily, um, and I had made note of this, she had run outside to the outside area. She was scared and she was never an animal that was aggressive with me. So I kind of banked on her not coming back in. Also, she probably wanted to keep the baby out of the situation as well. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So I noticed she was, she was outside and it was just me and him inside. So I threw this door open. I took that chance that she wasn't going to come back in. 
threw it open as wide as I could while keeping the shepherd's stick like to keep distance up at him. And luckily he decided to just scurry back in because, I, like I said, I'm sure he felt uncomfortable at that time. And as soon as he got back in, I just dropped everything and I closed every door back up, made sure everything was locked. He wasn't going to come back out at me or anyone who came in after me to check on the situation. And then I completely le- went back outside and left the building. And I just took a <laughs> took a deep breath and kind of reassessed what just happened. Because um, at this point, nobody knew. Nobody was around. No, everyone was, you know, off in the zoo in their own sections doing their morning checks. So it was it was scary to think that, like, wow, maybe... Maybe we should be working in pairs or, you know, all these ideas start coming into you. But I still had to deal with the situation at hand, right? So I radioed for my curator, the, my boss, and I just said, hey, where are you? And she said, I'm up at the main barn. And I was like, all right, stay there. And I'm sure one of the other keepers at the time, the carnivore keeper, you know, she heard the call come in. And, I, you know, she told me she could tell there was something off with the tone in my voice. So she had actually met us up at the main barn as well. But I had to get myself from the back of the zoo now, back up to the main barn. How far was that? Um, Maybe like a quarter mile, maybe a little bit less. But I was like, it was all uphill. So I was like, I am not walking up there right now. And then, so I jumped in my RTV vehicle that I had to kind of bring supplies around the zoo. And if anyone knows, those RTV vehicles, those pedals are so stiff. And the last thing I wanted to do right now was like press down this hard pedal with my leg that's just been ripped up. But, you know, I just, you know, my adrenaline was still rushing. So I just did it. I just bared through it. And I met them up at the main barn. And oddly enough, my curator was in the safe at the time that had all the trank guns and everything. <laughs> and she was probably just like making sure everything was accounted for. I'm like, well, that would have been good like five minutes ago. But um, I was like, um, I, we have a problem. I told her and she peeks her head over the safe door and she looks at me and I was like, so the male howler um, came through the feed door and really got me good on the leg and she sees my leg and she's like oh my god so they had me sit down the carnivore keeper comes in at that point and right now you just see like my pants are very bloody so they open the flap of my jean they like pull it off my leg and they see like the three huge bites that he just tore into my leg with and they're like oh my god and that was like really the first time I myself had looked at the damage because I didn't want to look before I I got to somebody else because I didn't want to like pass out, God forbid, or just be like really freaked out. And it was, it was worse than I could, could really imagine just because, you know, on TV, you see these situations where people are are fighting and maybe someone stabbed with a knife, right? But a knife is a nice clean cut. This was the furthest thing from a clean cut I could see. Like chewed up flesh is, is something you really, you have to see it to really imagine very scary looking especially your own yes especially your own <laughs> and i kept saying myself, like i can't believe this just happened you know is did this really happen so you know they didn't call an ambulance because i don't think they wanted that kind of um ex- negative exposure coming to the zoo especially when you have members arriving shortly um very wealthy members at that Mem- wealthy members meaning donors yes. to the zoo Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah. our membership was close to 100000 for the year, $100,000. So, yeah, very wealthy people arriving to the zoo. 
so they wanted to get me out of there as fast as they could and, and, and not have any remnants of what happened. So they called the owner and they told her to come and told her to bring me to the hospital. And, you know, she did just that. And they, they kind of assess, they, they just put, gave me some cold packs. <laughs> I don't think those helped at all, but you know, they drove me to the hospital. And at this point, you know, they, they put me in a wheelchair and then she wheels me in and they're checking me in. And I, I remember at this moment, I felt so bad because there was this mother and this young, her young daughter in the waiting area as well. And her daughter's looking at me and I'm trying to signal to her like not to look, you know, like it was just, I didn't want her to get upset. Like it was rough to look at. And the girl looked like she had seen a ghost. So I pretty sure I traumatized her, unfortunately. Mm. But, well, when you're in an ER, you yeah. can see just about anything. I know, yeah. poor girl. But, you know, there was a team of doctors that brought me in. And um, at this point, my adrenaline's kind of wearing off a little bit. And they're asking me all these questions. And it was a little awkward because the owner of the zoo was there and asked me what happened. And I didn't want to get anyone in trouble, but I wanted to be honest so they could take care of me like the way they needed to. And they're like, oh, my God, a howler monkey. Like, where was this? We didn't even know there was a zoo in the area. Hey, this is Scott. Did you know we offer a premium feed of this show that is completely ad-free and there are bonus episodes? Go to whatwasthatlike.com slash plus or just click the link in the show notes of any episode to learn more and to sign up. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can sign up right there in the app by clicking try free at the top of the episode list. And I hope to see you in the premium feed soon. So they had to call the CDC because they didn't know if there was any like disease alerts out for howlers. Um, luckily, there wasn't. They're like, good thing this wasn't a rhesus macaque monkey because they are, you know, full of diseases that could be transmitted to humans. So I was good with that. You know, they they numbed me up and they gave me a total of only eight stitches. They said, normally, if this was any other kind of wound, you would have gotten about 50 between the three bites, but you can't close up animal wounds all the way because it, it will get infected or just more likely get infected. Like animal bites, wounds need to kind of drain and sort of ooze for a few days to make sure everything goes well. <laughs> because of the bacteria in an animal's mouth Absolutely. being transmitted. Yep. So... You know, at this point, they, you know, they stitch me up, they wrap me in gauze that are almost instantly bloody. So I was, my whole leg down from the knee to the ankle on the right side was wrapped in bloody gauze. I, I feel like I looked like a war victim, you know, like had war injuries limping out of there. Had the people to eat at the ER, had they ever seen a monkey attack before? Not, no. No. Some, yeah, some of the women that were working on me definitely had not, and some had just, you know, they didn't mention it but they were pretty excited <laughs> but also <laughs> you know uh, dumbfounded as as well mm -hmm. um i guess never a dull day at the er <laughs> i guess yeah well we did i recently did an episode with a man who was attacked by an alligator i saw and when he was at the hospital you know it's like they were all calling hey we got an alligator attack come yeah. over here look at this you know so it's probably the same thing yeah, there was definitely more people that maybe needed to be in the room, <laughs> probably just to kind of see the situation. Um, yeah, because it was different than you normally see. I'm sure they've seen dog bites and whatnot, but that's what they said. Dog bites is what they normally see. But monkey, that was a new one. So then at this point, yeah, they, they bring me back to the zoo and um, I had to call my friend to come pick me up. And she came with her boyfriend so they could grab my car as well. 
I contacted her before this interview and I said, hey, I'm you know, giving this interview about uh, this monkey attack. I was like, is there anything particular to you that stood out about that day? And she said, well, when you called me, she goes, you're never going to, you know, you were like, you're never going to believe what just happened. She's like, but given you worked in the zoo, she's like, it was definitely plausible. And then you were like, ah, oh, it's bad, but at least it didn't get my face. And when... <laughs> When she came to pick me up, she's like, your adrenaline is definitely still running because you were not really um, absorbing the full impact of what just happened. She's like, you know, you were trying to get in the car yourself and and you were telling me that we were going to go to this barbecue and we had to get ice for the barbecue. And, and she's like, because you, you have to keep in mind, as a zookeeper, you have essentially no social life. Okay? My weekends were Tuesdays and Wednesdays for a year at this point. So this was also the first Saturday. <laughs> Essentially, I didn't have work for the rest of the day. And, and um, someone I knew was throwing a barbecue and all I wanted to do was go because I, I felt pretty good at that point. You know, like they had numbed me up and they gave me some painkillers. I'm like, yeah, let, let's just go to the barbecue for a few hours. You know, I haven't, I haven't been out in the longest time. And, and we went and there was a lot of people there I, I was meeting for the first time and they were like, what? happened to your leg and i was like i was attacked by a like monkey. the star of the show right <laughs> although I don't, I don't think most people believe me they're like yeah okay and they just walk away because i'm sitting there with my leg like propped up on a chair um she had to keep it elevated i probably looked insane to most people but once the uh once the painkillers wore off i was definitely ready to go home i was like oh my god get me out of here and um we did, and that was, whew, what a day. <laughs> what would have prevented this from happening? Just the water bowl being secure so you didn't have to reach in? But, I mean, there may be – are there any other reasons you'd have to, to, uh, to reach in to the, to the uh, enclosure? Just to either give food or water or to obtain the bowls back, right? Because you don't, you don't want a lot of, like, old food bowls sitting in there that can get gross pretty quickly. But yeah, it's just to take in and out the bowls mainly. Otherwise, there is no reason for me to go into the enclosure. Everything should be coming through these feed doors. But we've already determined the feed door is only big enough for the water bowl to get through and the monkey can fit in that space. Right. So, so how do you prevent this? Well, I think they realized afterwards that maybe this wasn't the proper enclosure for these animals, you know, I, I'm sure they never assumed or guessed that they would be able to fit through a door they weren't supposed to. But yeah, otherwise securing those food bowls like the other monkeys had is a surefire way to fix this problem. Yeah. And in most cases, they, they wouldn't, the monkey wouldn't have any desire or need to try to fit through that little hole. No. It's just because of his uh, anger toward you. Right. And, and you have to remember too, like, they spend... 24 hours a day in these enclosures, 365 days a year. I know it gets boring sometimes. And they know every inch of that enclosure better than you with their eyes closed. So anything that's new and different and, and that can they can get to a new part, I'm sure they want to in, in a heartbeat because they're just sick of their normal day-to-day. -day. After this, I mean, obviously you, you got well enough that you could go back to work. <laughs> Did you end up dealing with this monkey again after that? Yeah, well, they only gave me three days till I had to come back, <laughs> which definitely did not seem like enough. But um, yeah, I, I I begged and pleaded with them to take him out of my section after this, or you know, do something so that him and I were not working together. And they just never did. And 
I tell you, that definitely affected me and it definitely affected our relationship, um, employee-employer relationship, because it was incredibly stressful going back to his enclosure every day. I felt like I was reliving it every time. And, and then from then on, I, would, I wouldn't even go into the enclosure unless I looked through the windows first and made sure everything was closed really from the outside. Like I was overcautious at this point. And then it was just, I never went anywhere without an intern after that. Like I wanted somebody with me um, because it was, it was incredibly stressful for me going back in there with him. I can imagine. I mean, the, the, the stress of having to kind of relive that when you have to go back in and deal with the same monkey again, but is there any, was there any value in, you know, the idea of facing your fear and, you know, getting past it by going back in there? No. <laughs> no. Okay. I mean, I mean, the, the only thing I can think of really is like, it was, a, it was a stark reminder of that you're dealing with wild animals and to never let your guard down. But I kind of learned that lesson already without having to go back in there every single day. Yeah, I can understand the stress that would it would add from like what you said, an employer employee relationship. You know, they're supposed to have your back, and they're sending you back into the war zone. I know, and and I think it was like maybe like two or so, two or three months after that, you know, the monkeys were due for their some of their vaccines and their shots, and and they asked me if I wanted to go into the animal section with the vet and just some nets to try to capture them so we could give them their vaccines. And I was like, you think I am the best person to do this? I don't think so. No. And and so after that attack, I said, I, I lasted maybe six more months before I realized that my safety probably wasn't a high priority for them. And, and it just wasn't worth it for me to be there. And it seems like there, if you want to work with animals, there are a lot of other options other than, you know, being in a cage with a dangerous monkey. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> there are, but, you know, there are no two days alike when you work with animals. And that's something I think a lot of people need to be cautious of when it comes to, like, having exotic pets, which I don't really recommend. But, um, you know, you have to really be on your game every single day. And that's, uh, you know, that wears on you after a while, too, you know, to be on all the time. Right, right. Because it's so easy when you get into a routine, you let your guard yeah. down, and then that's when the bad stuff happens. Yeah, absolutely. It seems kind of weird, you know. This monkey didn't like you. You seem like a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Before we wrap it up here, I want you to tell us about. You have a podcast. Can you tell us about that? What it's about? Yeah. So our podcast. I do the podcast with my fiance Nick, and it's called Just Nas Science. And it's basically this comedy, but also educational aspect of Twitter science. So we find some ridiculous science or pseudoscience on Twitter, and we kind of, you know, break it down, um, tell you why it's so ridiculous and why it's not true. And then we build you back up with some evidence-based facts, let you know the real science behind everything. Okay. What, what's an example of something you would talk about? Well, our first and one of my favorite episodes was about flat earth. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of false information out there about the earth and this flat earth movement. So we kind of broke down some earth science about it and some physics a little bit about why the earth isn't flat, why it couldn't be flat, and just some of the crazy things people say, and you know, where do they come up with this stuff? So 
Yeah, that one in particular seems like, how does it ever get any traction or have any credibility it's with anyone? Amazing, you know? yeah, but it does. It gets a lot of traction. That is crazy. Okay, so you do this podcast, and and, and t- tell me the name of it again. I mean, and ha- can you explain the name? Sure, it's Just Nah Science. And the reason why we picked this name is because N.A. is... Basically, on the periodic table, it, it's a portion of salt, you know, NACL. So we're, the whole idea is that we're getting salty about bad science, uh, bad social media science. And so every episode starts with a title, something like, um, is climate change a scam? Nah. You know, like, no, nah, that's not true. And, and no way, this could be it. So it kind of has this double meaning about being salty about it and just being like, nah, this is not true at all. That's interesting. And when I saw the title, I could see that, like, nah, that's not true, but I didn't catch the periodic table reference with yes. sodium. That's cool. Okay. All right. So, how can people find your show or how can people contact you if they would like to? Yeah, absolutely. So, you can definitely go to our website at justnascience.com. And from there, you could see all of our social media handles, our, you know, our Twitter handle, our Instagram. We have a Facebook page and um, even our emails up there. It's justnapodcast at gmail.com. So you can reach out to us through any of those outlets. All right. I'll have all those links in the show notes as well for this episode for anybody who wants to find that. Lauren, thanks for coming on the show and telling us this story. I think from after hearing what you've said, I'm just going to stick with my two Yorkies and not have any <laughs> wild animals as pets. Sounds like a plan. Thank you so much for having me on. Hey, this is Scott again. You know something? There are so many stories out there that would be great for this podcast. I mean, today's show is episode 41, and I feel like I've barely scratched the surface. Maybe you have a story, or maybe you know someone who has been through something extremely unusual and would want to come on the show and tell about it. But if you have a story in mind, you should also be aware that there are a few stories that I typically don't do. I don't do anything related to the paranormal. I don't usually do stories that are primarily medically related, like medical miracles, so to speak, and I don't do stories where the primary topic is drugs or sex. So what stories would I be interested in? Well, there are a few specific stories that I'm looking for right now, so be on the lookout for these. I'm looking for someone who discovered a suicide, like a friend or a family member, someone who survived falling off a cruise ship while underway, someone who has been rescued after being buried in an avalanche, a passenger in a car when it was hit by a train, someone who forgot a baby locked in a car. Unfortunately, that happens in Florida here all too often. Someone who was falsely accused of child sex offenses and later exonerated. Someone who was a victim of human trafficking by a non-family member and then rescued someone who won the showcase on The Price is Right, and someone who has a pet chimpanzee, kind of related to today's show. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, there are absolutely a ton of story ideas that I haven't even thought of yet. So I'm open to ideas from you. Remember, it has to be really unusual. It has to be something that when you look down at your phone and you see that new episode is out, you look at the title and say, okay, I have to hear that story. So if you have something, email me at scott at whatwasthatlike.com or submit it from the website. 
And don't forget to join our private Facebook group. There's some great discussions going on over there. And I'll see you in two weeks.